We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson Preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi And now, Mike Hickson I'm not sure that anyone has ever made a more profound impact upon the human family than Jesus. When you look at the life of Jesus and you begin to think about all of the different areas of life that He has impacted, the tremendous influence that He has welded, it's amazing. And there are people today that will be sifting through the Scriptures over and over again to learn more about Jesus. And in their reading and study, they will come to appreciate the majesty of Jesus. I want you to think with me for a moment or two about the majesty of Jesus. As we think about the majesty of Jesus, I want to begin by, first of all, calling to your attention the fact that Jesus reveals the Father to mankind. Listen, if you would, to what is said in verse 15. Speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. First, I think about the identification of Jesus, and then not just the identification of Jesus, but the revelation by Jesus. First, think about His identification. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they want to know, who is Jesus? Matter of fact, during the earthly ministry of Jesus, do you remember He would ask from time to time what people thought about Him? For example, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus wanted to know what those on the street were saying about his identity. He asked the question, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And you recall they said, Well, some say that you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So when we ask the question today, Who is Jesus? It's a relevant question, isn't it? I would submit to you that Jesus is both the Son of Man and the Son of God. In other words, when you begin to look at what the Bible has to say about Jesus, He had an earthly mother, but a heavenly Father. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus identified Himself as the Son of Man. He said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but, He said, to minister and to give His life a ransom for the many. And then, of course, in Matthew chapter 16, when he asked what people were saying about his identity, then he wanted to know, whom do you say that I am? Peter said, well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so, based on what they had seen, what they had heard, their conclusion, he's the Son of God. So when people begin to ask the question today, who is Jesus? Well, he had an earthly mother, but a heavenly father. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, 
Paul said, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Do you remember Jesus is identified as the Word, that eternal Word who became flesh. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us the Word became flesh. And John said, we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, by way of identity... Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God. Today, we look at Jesus, we say He was fully God, fully man, wasn't He? But, there's another thing you need to see. And that is the manifestation by Jesus. Note, if you would, what is said again in verse 15. It is said of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. A couple of words here that we need to talk about for just a moment or two. First, the word image. It's the word that we get our term, icon. In the original, that's the word, icon. It means figure, likeness, an exact representation. What Paul is saying here is this. Jesus is the perfect representation of whom? Of God. Do you remember in Hebrews chapter 1 at verse 3? The Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In other words, He is the exact representation. Why? Because He's God, isn't He? He is the second member of the Godhead. In John chapter 14, Jesus would say... In the long ago, if you have known me or if you have seen me, what? You have known or seen the Father. Jesus came to reveal the Father to mankind. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 11 and about verse 22, or 27 rather, that all things had been delivered to Him by His Father. He said, no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and He to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. So when Jesus came to earth, one of the things that He did, He revealed the Father to mankind, didn't He? Now there's a second term I want you to look at very quickly. First, He is said to be the image of the invisible God. The second term is firstborn. He is the firstborn over all creation. The word firstborn means priority to or preeminence over creation. It is a Jewish technical term that simply means this, uncreated. The equivalent would be the only begotten. You remember in John 3.16 when Jesus said, He is the only begotten Son, the only one of His kind? There has never been anyone like Jesus before or after. Jesus is the only one of His kind. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. So when we talk about Jesus as this uncreated being, again, you remember what we said a moment ago, He is the Son of Man and the Son of God. As the Son of Man, He, began, he had a beginning point, didn't He? The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, speaking of the Christ, the Messiah, the Hebrew writer quotes the psalmist. 
And he said, a body you have prepared for me. Where did he prepare that body? In the womb of Mary. Well, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Physically speaking, that was his beginning point. But from an eternal vantage point, he has always existed. Matter of fact, in the book of Malachi, or rather in the book of Micah, in chapter 5, the writer pinpoints the birthplace of Jesus. And he said, whose goings forth are from of old, even from everlasting or from the days of eternity. All he's saying there is that Jesus, as the second member of the Godhead, has no beginning and no ending point. He is an eternal being, isn't he? So when we talk about Jesus, he is an uncreated being. A lot of folks in the world today, they think Jesus didn't begin to exist until his birth. Not so. He's always existed. Now, he came to earth, and as the Christ, the anointed one, he was the Messiah, wasn't he? He had an earthly mother, but a heavenly father. Matthew tells us that that which was conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. It was a virgin birth. Isaiah foretold of that in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. So you think about Jesus reveals the Father to mankind. But there's a second thing I want you to see. Jesus reigns faithfully over mankind. Two things here. First, we see the power of Jesus in the physical realm. And then secondly, we see His power in the spiritual realm. Note, if you would, what it said in verse 16. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Listen to Him. All things were created through Him. So you think about the power of Jesus in creation. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that God said, let there be light. God was the architect of the world. Jesus was the agent by which the world was made. How do I know that? Well, in John chapter 1. John said, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now listen, all things were made by Him. In other words, the universe as we see it, those visible things and invisible things were made by whom? By God, by Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 1, the Hebrew writer shows the superiority of Jesus over angelic beings. In verse 10 he said, And you, O Lord, have, have in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens, he said, are the works of your hands. Jesus is the one who created this universe. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 1 when God said, listen to him, let us make man in our image and likeness, the plural term us, a designation of the Godhead. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, actively involved in creation. So what Paul is saying here is, look, there was a creator. Now you think about our world today. And how many people have bought into this idea that the world in which we live is the product of chance? Really? We are the product of chance? The world in which we live is the product of chance? You talk about luck. Think about, think about this for a minute. There are folks that say this world is the product of chance. Some cataclysmic explosion. 
that we're the products of evolution. Really? Look, at some point in time, your luck runs out, doesn't it? If that's not the case, then there'd be a lot more gambling. The bottom line is, this world is not the product of chance. We are not the products of evolution, as some would have led us to believe. The Hebrew writer said, every house is built by some man. The home you live in, somebody built it. And let me tell you what, if somebody were to ask you, who built your home, and you were to say, you know what, nobody built it, it just appeared. I, can't, I drove by one day and boom. Why, wow, they, they would lock you up. They would say you are mentally unstable, and rightly so. The world in which we live was created by an almighty God. The psalmist said, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. So first we see his power in creation. Then secondly, note if you would, his preservation in creation. Look at verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Who do you think is responsible for holding this galaxy together? We talk about the Milky Way. Who do you think is responsible for keeping our universe operating on such a grand scale? Do you think that's by chance? No, the Bible says that Jesus upholds all things, listen to him, by the word of his power. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Jesus not only exerted power in creating the world, but He is the preservative power in keeping everything running as it does. Look at the orderliness of our universe. Look at how everything operates with precision. You think that's just chance? Not, not at all. Now, there's another thing I want you to see. First, we talk about His power in creation. His preservation over creation, and what about His purpose in creation? Listen again to verse 16. The Bible says all things were created through Him, listen to Him, and for Him. Do you know why this universe exists? It exists for the Lord. It's exactly what Paul said. Sometimes we have the idea this universe was created for us. Now, granted, God has created a beautiful universe in which we live, and we enjoy, we enjoy all of these great blessings and favors, and God is a very benevolent being. He has seen to our every need. But the Bible says all things were created through Him and for Him. The universe was created for the Lord, and that would include us. We have been created for Him, haven't we? So what does that say about our purpose in life? It says that we ought to live to glorify Him, shouldn't we? That our lives ought to be spent in service to Him. After all, He's our Creator. His power demonstrated in the creation of the universe. And then we think about His preservation and then His purpose. What is our purpose in life? A lot of folks in, in the world today misunderstand their purpose. And a lot of people in our world today grappling with this question, what is my purpose? The Bible says our purpose is to fear God and keep His commandments. He said, this is man's all. This is what life's about. Now, we see His power in creation that is in the physical realm, but what about in the spiritual realm? Well, look at verse 18. In verse 18, Paul said, And He, that is Christ, is the head of the body, the church, 
who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Let me call attention, first of all, to the fact that when we talk about the church, it owes its origin to Jesus. Jesus is the originator of the church. That word beginning there means active cause, the source from which something began. And what Paul is saying about the church is, Jesus is that agent by which the church came into being. Now I understand that God in the long ago decreed that the church would exist, that it would come into existence, Ephesians 3, 9 through 11. It exists today according to His eternal purpose. But Jesus Christ came to earth for the purpose of building the church, didn't He? You remember in Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said to Peter, I also say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build what? He said, I will build my church. Singular in nature, possessive in nature. In other words, Jesus is the builder of the church. It belongs to Him, doesn't it? Well, what did He use to build the church with? He built it and bought it with His blood, didn't He? Acts 20, verse 28. Paul said to the Ephesian elders, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to feed the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. So think about it. Paul here is saying, he's talking about first the physical realm and now the spiritual realm. And he's saying just as Jesus Christ is responsible for the physical realm, He's also responsible for the spiritual realm. The church, we enjoy the benefits and the blessings of being members of the church who made all that happen? Jesus did. Paul is saying, look, you need to understand the church belongs to Jesus. It's His. He built it. He bought it. It belongs to Him. Not only is He the originator of the church, but Paul said He is over the church. Look again at verse 18. Paul said, and He is the head of the body. Well, what's the body? Well, in Colossians 1.18, he tells us He's the head of the body, the church. The church and the body are one and the same. And Jesus functions as the head over the church. In Ephesians 1, Paul said, He put all things in subjection under His feet, made Him to be head over all things to the church, listen to Him, which is His body. The church is the body of Christ. The physical body is one. We have a body, we have a head. Spiritually speaking, the church is the body, and we have a head. Our head functions where? In heaven, doesn't He? How does Jesus regulate the behavior of the church? Well, He uses His Word, doesn't He? Think about for just a moment the estate that you possess. The land, stocks, bonds, your bank accounts, automobiles, everything you possess at some point in time will be turned over to someone else, won't it? Do you remember what Paul said? We brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out. In order to make sure that your estate is divided among your heirs, and it may be that you have certain possessions, you want to go to, to certain people in your family, maybe friends. Well, what do you do? You go to an attorney. You sit down. You designate those heirs in your will. At death, what happens? That will becomes operational, doesn't it? Your estate divided as you saw fit. Well, Jesus left us His last will and testament or covenant. Hebrews 9, 15 through 17. 
and he regulates the body that is his body through his word. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he said, But if I tarry long that you may know how to behave yourself or conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. All Paul's saying is this. I have given you God's instructions for your behavior in His body. That's all he's saying. So, you think about the fact that Jesus reveals the Father to mankind. Jesus reigns faithfully over mankind. And then there is a third thing. Jesus reconciles fallen mankind. Now, drop down if you would and look at verse 19. Paul said, It pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, speaking of Christ, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His Christ cross. Now look, if you would, at verse 21. In verse 21, Paul speaks of the state of sinful mankind. And here it is. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. All those who are outside of Christ, do you know what their status is? They're alienated from God. In other words, there is a breach. There is a separation. In the Garden of Eden, there was full fellowship and communion with God prior to man's sin. But after man sinned in the Garden, what happened? Separation, alienation. Thus, in Genesis 3.15, the unveiling of the promised seed, the Messiah. Well, why was, why was God concerned about man? Because man was separated from his Creator. The promised seed, the Messiah was promised for one reason, that is to reconcile fallen humanity. You ever thought about what it means to be in sin? A lot of folks in our world today, they misunderstand what sin is. And there are people in our world today that will laugh and mock and ridicule the concept of sin. Sin is a reality. And the Bible tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. Paul said, there is none righteous, no, not one. Sin has been defined by John as the transgression of the law. And here is the danger associated with being in sin. Romans 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Prior to people's obedience to the gospel, they are said to be without hope and without God in this world. That is, they're lost. It might be the case that a lot of people in our world today, they really don't get it when we talk about being lost. Reading this past week, an article by Wayne Jackson. And in his article, he was talking about people having good days and bad days. And he said, you know what? You have never had a bad day till you spend your first day in hell. He gets it. We don't get it in many respects, but let me tell you what. That writer, that man, he got it. He gets it today. What it means to be living in sin is to be lost. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. So, Jesus came to reconcile us. So we talk about the status of sinful mankind. Alienated, enemies, by what? By wicked works. But note, if you would, the status of saved people. 
Paul said, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he done what? Reconciled. Did you know there is reconciliation in Jesus? That you can be reconciled back to God? The Bible tells us reconciliation takes place in the church. We talk about the importance of the church, and there are a lot of people today that say, you know what, I can have a relationship with Jesus, but I don't really need the church. Look, to have a relationship with Jesus is to have a relationship with the church. Well, why? Because those who were baptized on Pentecost Day, God did what? He added them to the church, Acts 2, 47. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul said, By one spirit were you all baptized into one body. What's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. So reconciliation takes place where? In the church, Ephesians 2.16. Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. Listen, if you would, to what Paul said. Verse 22. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and irreproachable in his sight. So we enjoy redemption in Christ and reconciliation in Christ. Back up and look at verse 12, Colossians 1. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now listen to what he says. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. That's the world. Before you obeyed the gospel, you were in the world. You were, as Paul said, alienated and an enemy of God. But he says, He has delivered you out of the power of darkness, and now He has translated you into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Well, why do you need to be in the kingdom? Because it's in the kingdom that we enjoy redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. When you obey the gospel, you're redeemed by the blood of Christ. You are reconciled in the body of Christ. So there is redemption in Christ, reconciliation in Christ, and then there's a third thing. It's called reassurance in Christ. Drop down look at verse 23 very quickly. In verse 23, think again. Paul is writing to people that had come out of a life of sin. Remember back in verse 21, And you who once were, past tense. Ephesians 2 verse 1, And you has he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So in verse 23, he says, writing to these people that had come out of the world, and now they're in Christ, he said, If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Here's what Paul's saying. If you're living faithfully when the Lord Jesus comes, one day you're going to stand before God in the judgment. And as his child, he's going to present you he is going to present you to the Father as holy, blameless, and irreproachable in his sight. That's confidence. That's reassurance. Well, how do we have that reassurance? Here it is, right here, verse 23. Continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. In other words, you're trying to live a faithful life. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58? Be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Here's somebody that's giving his or her all, striving to be faithful to God. Why are we faithful to God? Because we have been promised the crown of life, haven't we? So think with me a moment about the majesty of Jesus. We're here today because of Jesus, because of what He's done for us. We are here in many respects to celebrate the majesty of Jesus. Why? Because He has revealed the Father to mankind. 
because He reigns faithfully over mankind and because Jesus reconciles fallen mankind. Sin was the problem. Jesus, the answer. I want to close today by simply saying, look, you may be here, and you've heard the gospel time and again, but you've never obeyed. You have never said, I want to become a child of God. What would you need to do? It's very easy. First, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. Secondly, willingly repent. In other words, walk away from a life of sin. Repent. Thirdly, confess His name before others. Simply acknowledge that you believe Jesus to be the Son of the living God, and then be immersed in water. Why be immersed? Because Jesus said, baptism leads to salvation. Peter said that baptism leads to the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2.38. Paul said it leads to the washing away of sins, Acts 22.16. And then just be faithful. Look, if you live a faithful life in Christ Jesus, here's what he said. I'll give unto you the crown of life, the Stephanos, the victor's crown. You want to be victorious one day? You want to win? You want one day to enjoy the crown of life? Then Jesus said, just follow me, be faithful. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love